And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee. And he went up on the mountain and sat down there. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put, him, put them at his feet, and he healed them. So that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they glorified the God of Israel. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I am unwilling to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, Where are we going to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? And Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven, and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up seven baskets full of the broken pieces left over. Those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. And after sending away the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region of Magadon. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You guys may be seated. As you take your seat, let's pray together. Our great God, we've gathered in the name of Jesus, your Son and our Lord, and we've gathered to cry out to you. Lord, would you speak to us from your word? Would you show us yourself? Would you show us your power? Would you convince us anew of your mercy and your grace? And Lord, would you cause us to depend upon you and trust you and follow you and walk in your ways? Lord, on behalf of all your people who are gathered, we ask that you would work. On behalf of those who are gathered seeking and exploring and wondering what it might be to relate to you, we pray you would show your power. Please be at work, O oh God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's great to see you all this morning. Here at Redeemer, we're studying the book of Matthew. And so if you haven't done so already, please take a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 15, where uh, Leanne was just reading for us. If you don't have a Bible this morning, there should be one under the chair in front of you, or just to your left. You can fight with your neighbor for it if you need to, or maybe share, however that needs to play out. We're studying through Matthew, and 
As we work through, we're at a place in the story, a place in the telling of who Jesus is, where we see different ways that people respond to Jesus. And ultimately, what this section of Matthew is going to say to us is how we respond to Jesus really matters. How we respond to Jesus really matters. And interestingly, from the outside looking in, those that you would expect to be really excited about Jesus tend to be frustrated with him, disappointed with him, and questioning of him. And those that you would expect to have no interest in Jesus are the ones who tend to be like hungry, desperate beggars saying, please help. And that's what we see in this passage, because this passage plays out not amongst the Jews, not amongst the people of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not amongst those that Jesus came to redeem and restore as the house of Israel, but amongst those who were outsiders, those who were far away, those who were unworthy. This story plays out there, and what it does is it conveys something about the heart of God toward the Gentiles, and it conveys something about the ministry of Jesus to the Gentiles, and it conveys something about what faith really looks like. So I've entitled this sermon, Crumbs for Beggars, and hopefully that's the message. Faith is seeing ourselves as beggars before God and seeing that crumbs from his table are enough to satisfy us forever. So let's look at the passage together and let's see what it unfolds for us. Um, I don't have a TV back there today, so that means I can't see the slides and I don't have a clock. So when we're still here at like two o'clock, you might want to like hold up like two, two, one, two. Asleep. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But remember, if we stay till two today, it's really like one o'clock to your body. So we're just getting started. <laughs> when I was an associate pastor at our sending church before everyone had an iPhone, one of my favorite things to do was on time change Sundays like today was to sit out in the lobby and just chronicle people who came in thinking they were on time and they were an hour early or thinking they were on time and there's already a service in the middle of the sermon. It was just beautiful joy. But now everybody has a smartphone and your clock just reset in the middle of the night and here you are. So I'll have to find some other ministerial delight that's a little bit evil. So we, we're going to see two points. One is about the inclusion of the Gentiles and one's about what faith looks like. And, and to do that, we're going to walk through the passage two times. So the first point is Gentiles also. Gentiles also. Before I dive into this, this is the really important key of understanding. We think of a world filled with multiple nations and ethnicities. So we think of Americans, we think of Latin Americans, we think of Europeans, we think of Africans, we think of Middle Easterners, we think of Asians, right? Like all those kind of things. People from Australia. That's fine because we've learned that about the world. Um, but religiously speaking, 
in the day of Jesus, there were two groups, the Jews and the Gentiles, us and them, okay? The Jews and the not-Jews, those who were special, chosen of the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and those who were not. So the world consisted of two groups of people. So thus far, Jesus has been revealing, I'm the, the promised redeemer of the Jews. And then this passage becomes one of a series where he says, and my mercy extends to the Gentiles. And my saving love extends to the Gentiles. And my power extends to the Gentiles. And so we might misread this passage as like, oh yeah, yeah. The Jews and the people of Tyre and Sidon. But I don't think that's the way to read it. The way to read it is the Jews and everyone else. The Jews and all the other peoples of the earth. Okay, you guys with me? So we got to put that mindset on to get the punch that this passage was intended to deliver. So we start. Verse 21, and they went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. So this is a Gentile area, a non-Jewish area. It's an area that throughout the Old Testament is known for the worship of Baal, a false god, and now would be known for its polytheism, its worship of many gods. So Jesus has gone into a Gentile area, and behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, have mercy on me. So he's gone to a Gentile area, and a Gentile woman is crying for mercy. So what's going to unfold in this passage is Jesus is in an unexpected place, ministering to an unexpected people in an unexpected way. And the unexpected way is he's going to heal this woman. The unexpected way is he's going to go up to a mountain and heal many Gentiles. And then the unexpected way is he's going to have compassion on the Gentiles and feed them with the same slash similar miracle as he had just done with the feeding of the 5,000 um, in a Jewish realm. What's going to play out in this passage is Jesus is beginning to show more and more clearly that his mercy, his love, and his ministry, and his power extend to the Gentiles also. And trust me, please, when I tell you this is the most surprising turn in the story of the coming Messiah. He did not just come to redeem the house of Israel, but to redeem all the peoples of the earth. It was promised, but a lot of the promise was missed. So let's look at these. First, verses 21 through 28, Jesus heals the Canaanite woman. She cries out, Have mercy on me, O son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. So the need is the woman's daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Verse 23, at first Jesus did not answer her. And his disciples came and begged him saying, send her away for she is crying out after 
us. I think the best way to interpret that is give her what she wants so she'll go away. I think the disciples, being very human, were annoyed by her. And they were like, just go, like, give her what she wants so she'll quit bothering us. But what Jesus does is something a little bit different. He engages her, okay? And I, and I have to admit, before this week, I have always read this encounter as Jesus being a little bit mean and then giving in at the end. But I don't think that's what's going on at all. Jesus is being very clear and very intentional in what he's doing. He is signaling to the disciples, I know what I'm doing. He's signaling to the woman, I know what I'm doing. And he's signaling to everyone who hears the story, I know what I'm doing. So there's that story in the book of Acts where um, Peter and John are walking through a town and one of them gets annoyed at this dude and just casts a demon out of him and keeps going and it causes a big stir. That's not what's going on here. Jesus isn't annoyed with her. Jesus is engaging with her and and he's making it very clear, I'm healing a Gentile. I know what I'm doing. This is no accident. So they said, just send her away. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Which That's a true statement. He was sent to redeem the lost sheep of the house of Israel. How did the woman respond? She came to him, knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. He answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. It's not right to take what belongs to the children of the table and feed it to the dogs. Perhaps some of us should learn from that before lunch today, but that's not the point of the passage. And notice what the woman says. She doesn't say, But I ought to be a child. She doesn't say, you ought to love me like I'm a child. She doesn't say, but I'm entitled to be your child. She says this, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Jesus answered her, a woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. So notice this. We're going to spend a little more time thinking about the woman and her response later in the sermon. But notice this. She says, I just need some crumbs. And she seems to believe that crumbs from the Lord's table are enough to satisfy us all. So Jesus intentionally, clearly, knowingly gives his mercy and grace to this Gentile Now, we could interpret that wrongly and say, well, he just did that because she had this exceeding faith, and it was a one-time thing. So then we come to the next story, 
No, that's going to be disproven. We come to the next story. He went from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee and went up on the mountain and sat down there. Now, the Sea of Galilee, some of the land around it was Gentile area. Some of the land around it was Jewish area. Based on verse 31, they glorified the God of Israel. I think it's right to interpret that he was in Gentile area. Still, and they brought to him great crowds. They brought to him lame, blind, crippled, mute, and many other things and put them at his feet. Okay, so if Jesus's act of mercy to this one Gentile was an isolated incident because he can't pour out his mercy and grace on the Gentiles, what would we expect to happen here? Nothing, right? Verse 30, he healed them. So that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. So now we've gone from one woman to many brought to his feet. Well, maybe he just had a great compassion. They were really needy. We come to the next story. The crowd gets so big, they've been there for three days. They have nothing to eat. And notice what Jesus says. I have compassion on the crowd. I have compassion. Now, if you go home and do a deep dive linguistic survey of the word compassion, it means I have care and concern for their needs because I have care and concern for them. And if you open Twitter this afternoon and you read that it's a sin to have empathy from bad Christian teachers, remember that Jesus had compassion on them. And don't open Twitter. It's better for your soul. <laughs> so we see Jesus not just doing good to the Gentiles, but expressing concern and care for them. He had compassion for them. And what did they get when he had compassion for them and they had no food? The same miracle that had just played out back in Galilee. He miraculously made an abundance of food such that all were satisfied and there were leftovers. So we have this not so subtle juxtaposition of I just need some crumbs from the table and Jesus is like you'll be satisfied and there'll be abundance. I'm willing to be your dog. I'll give you the same miracle I gave my children. We're supposed to see this. It's there. The love is abundant. The mercy is abundant. The grace is abundant. Even for them. Even for the Gentiles. Which, unless... 
Some of you are of a Jewish descent that I'm unaware of. This is all of us. We're begging dogs. And Jesus didn't just give us crumbs. He gave us the table. Once you're in a meeting, I'll seat it at your table, Jesus. Thank you. Well done, Dan, by the way. I see you working there. So, a few thoughts on this point about the Gentiles. What's beginning to become more and more clear in Matthew's gospel is this. The Messiah of Israel is also the Savior of all. The Messiah of Israel, the one who is going to restore and bless God's people, is also the Savior of the Gentiles. He's the Savior of all of them. That means, number two, that the blessings of Jesus extend to everyone and everywhere. Everyone and everywhere. Um, polytheism, that's the worship of many gods, always has these two components to it. One is gods only have particular gifts. So like the God of wealth or the God of judgment or the God of blessing or the God of fertility or right, the God of creation. The second thing that it has with it is gods are limited in where their blessings can be poured out. Um, and so I don't think it's an accident that Jesus has gone into the land of other quote unquote gods and is displaying his power there just like in Israel. That's what's playing out in the book of Exodus and in the um, 10 plagues. So Jesus is showing that his blessings and his power extend to everyone everywhere. Third, this begins to speak to the wideness of God's mercy and the wideness of God's love. It's not just limited to the Jews, but the Gentiles are included also. Thank you, Lord, that your power, your mercy, your grace, and your love extend to all the people's of the world. Thank you, Lord, that all types of people need Christ, but Christ is enough to redeem all types of people. That's one sermon. I kind of want to stop there, um, but I'm out of town next week, and I've already assigned chapter 16, so we got to keep going. <laughs> Second point. I call this conversion and faith. I probably should have just called it faith, but we're going to go with conversion and faith because that's what the screens say. I do think from reading this passage, we need to learn something about the nature of faith from this Canaanite woman. Why might I say that? Because Jesus said in verse 28, O woman, great is your faith. There's something to be learned here. Um, now, the Bible doesn't ever give us like a five-chapter handbook on exactly what faith looks like, exactly how to exercise faith, and exactly how to walk by faith. 
So we have to take stories like this and learn from them and put all that together. But, but faith in the scripture is a word of trust, worship, dependence, and clinging. So faith would mean, I know that I need Christ and I turn to him and I trust him and I look to him. Faith's never merely intellectual, but it's a a word of disposition. It's a word of dependence. It's a word of yielding. And I think from this woman, we see some truths about faith. Even faith for those who are turning away from other gods and turning to the one true God. What we have here is a woman who knows that she is a Canaanite crying out to the son of David, recognizing she's a dog, just asking for crumbs from the table. We have people who know they are Gentiles seeing miracles carried out and glorifying the God of Israel. We have people who are far from this God being turned toward him. Now, if Jesus said in verse 28, O woman, great is your faith, what do we see in this story? Number one, she has a right recognition of who Jesus is. She has a right recognition of who Jesus is. Have mer- verse 22, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. The, the one in the line of David who is to bring God's restoration to his people. So she's saying, have mercy on me, I'm looking to the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm looking to you, Jesus, the son of David. So this is not a nebulous, cross your fingers and hope that it all works out in the end. It's a confidence in a being. His name is Jesus. She has that. Second, she, the lady, has an understanding of who she truly is. Meaning, there's no entitlement in her whatsoever. Have mercy on me. I'm seeking you out. Lord, send her away. I wasn't sent to you. I was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I fall down and I cry out, but help me. It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. That's fine. I'm a begging dog who just wants some crumbs. The woman understands that she's entitled to nothing from Jesus. She's entitled to nothing from the Lord, and yet she seeks him anyway. 
Friends, I do often wonder how, uh, how much our life of faith is train wrecked through some form of spiritual entitlement. That the Lord owes us something. That the Lord has to give us that thing that we want or that we're asking for. That, that we deserve a seat at the table. The gospel's always been dogs made sons, beggars fully satisfied. Third, this woman is begging for mercy. Now, there's a difference between begging for mercy and asking for what you think you're entitled to. Have mercy on me. Please help me. Just some crumbs. She's begging for mercy. I'm not trying to get into parenting wisdom, but parenting analogies always seem to help a mediocre sermon get a little bit better. Um, but a few years ago, we started giving our kids allowance. And you can allowance or not allowance. I don't care. But it's tied to them doing their chores around the house. At least at my house it is. You can do whatever you want to. But a few weeks ago, one of my kids said, hey, we had not gotten allowance in a couple months. A little frustrated. You know, the one who had the most financial need. Um, and I pointed at the little calendar on the refrigerator my wife makes that's color-coded with, like, who's supposed to do what? And I said, because those things haven't been done in two months. See, his allowance is tied to work. And he wondered where his money was. And he didn't get mercy. He got poverty. <laughs> but juxtapose that with a kid who comes and says, Father, I have spent my resources poorly. I would love to go to the movie tonight with my friends. Would you be willing to help me, Father? I know I don't deserve your money, but I'm asking for it. One is begging for mercy. The other one's saying, where's what you owe me? This woman understood she was begging for mercy and that Jesus owed her absolutely nothing. And yet she begged. Fourth, there's a commendable persistence to this woman. Like it, it appears to me that she didn't believe she could just go to the next God down the street. And trust me, in Tyre and Sidon of that day, there would have been other options. 
She sought out Jesus, verse 22. She wouldn't go away when the disciples tried to send her away, verse 23. When Jesus attempted at first to send her away, she fell down before him and worshiped him, crying out, Lord, help me. I'll just take some crumbs from your table. This woman was consistently looking to Jesus and she knew not where else to look. So then in verse 28, Jesus said, O woman, great is your faith. And her daughter was healed immediately. Now, I never, ever, ever want you to take away from a passage like this. I have to, I have to generate up great faith for God to value it. I don't want you to take that away. What I do want you to take away is the faith that the Lord calls great is just a humble desperation that looks to him and continues to look to him and continues to look to him and continues to look to him. That's the faith that the Lord's eager for and the faith that the Lord honors. Second, I do wonder if entitlement can turn a cry for mercy into a demand from God. And I don't think we get to make demands of God. But just about everything we are able to turn into a cry for mercy if we understand that we're a beggar who needs some crumbs. Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm pleading for salvation. That's a beg for mercy. Lord, my family member who's far from you, they need your grace. I'm pleading. That's a beg for mercy. Lord, I truly don't know how to put one foot in front of another and face tomorrow. Would you help me? That's a cry for mercy. Let's even get very pragmatic I'm a couple thousand dollars in debt and I don't know where to turn. God, get me out because you ought to. That's a demand. God, would you be kind enough to continue providing for our family such that our daily bread also includes provision for this debt that's before me? That's a cry for mercy. Lord, I would really like to fill in the blank vacation or go to a particular school or earn a particular athletic whatever. Those things can be demands where the Lord would be like, what do you think I am, a genie in a bottle? Or they could just be cries for fatherly mercy. And I think it's an emptiness of entitlement and a desperation for God to be God where we can turn everything into a cry for mercy that is from faith that the Lord honors. So there's this fine line between we can only pray about spiritual things and we turn God into the health and wealth deity of German engineered sports cars for all Christians. There's a fine line in there. And I think that fine line is 
I cry out from a place of need, understanding that you owe me nothing, but yet you're eager to provide. And where the story's going is this Jesus is going to die on a cross. And he's going to be raised the third day. And he's going to reveal himself to his disciples. And he's going to ascend into heaven where he rules and reigns from on high. And he promises that all who come to him, all who turn away from sin and rebellion and come to him and cry out for forgiveness and mercy and grace will receive it. And not just crumbs to a dog, but dogs made children and called children of God and receiving the inheritance just like the other children because that's what Jesus came to do. And that story of the gospel is intended to generate in us faith upon faith upon faith for today and tomorrow and the next day. Faith for our struggles against sin and faith for our longings in this world and faith for our parenting and discipling and faith for it all. So God, we pray now that you would take these words from Matthew and you would reshape us by them. Lord, I pray the people of Redeemer would be people of faith in Jesus, who cling to Jesus and walk with him. Father, would you work in this gathering this morning, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.